Mix and match is A-OK. -okay. That boosting response that you want to see is very much present. What it means for thousands of British Columbians who received AstraZeneca first. A new reward for clues in the Trina Hunt murder. We need to find the person who did this and bring justice for Trina. What her family is offering in an emotional video appeal and why they say valuable time has been lost. And how the Kamloops tragedy carries on. The fate of 215 children buried at a former residential school and how it impacts hundreds of other indigenous youth in care right now. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. More optimism in BC's fight against COVID-19. For the first time since October, we have fewer than 200 daily cases, 184 to be exact. And now our total cases are 144,473. Only 2,800 of those are active at the moment. 254 people are in hospital, 80 of those in the ICU, and the best piece of good news, no new deaths to report. Canada's National Advisory Committee on Immunization is giving the green light to mixing and matching doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine with the mRNA vaccines Moderna and Pfizer. It's safe and effective, and as Aaron MacArthur reports, the approval gives the ongoing vaccination drive a lot more flexibility. It's been eagerly anticipated, and now it's an official recommendation. Canada's top public health doctors say it's okay to mix and match COVID-19 vaccines. They are a similar type of vaccine, and we've seen in the past that uh, for, for different uh, uh, diseases that uh, vaccines from different companies can be used interchangeably with great success. Based on evidence from a small study in Spain and preliminary data from larger studies across Europe, Mixing a first dose of AstraZeneca with a second mRNA vaccine will work. According to data, the mixed schedule actually increases immunity. The chair of the Oxford Vaccine Group, Matthew Snape, recommends people consider mixing it up. Doctors in Canada say this is a game changer in terms of vaccinations. In France and Germany who are already doing this, demonstrating that, yeah, it looks like it uh, is a safe thing to do, and not only that, it actually provides a pretty significant and robust immune response. According to NASI, anyone who got Pfizer should stick with Pfizer. Same for Moderna. Unless people don't know which shot they got, then the two mRNA vaccines can be used interchangeably. But anyone who got AstraZeneca now has a choice. Any brand of second dose is okay. Uh, I, I feel at this point in time, I'm going to stick with uh, what had me getting AstraZeneca at the time. The first available vaccine for me is going to be the best available vaccine. The mixed dosing does come with evidence of stronger side effects from the second shot. More people report more soreness or mild flu-like symptoms. But so far, there is no indication of any safety signal. I have a, a lot of confidence in the work of both Health Canada regulatory authorities, but also in the National Advisory Committee on Immunization. The public health team in BC will outline what the mixed schedule will look like later this week, including what will happen to the timelines for second doses. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Second dose anticipation increases by the minute. Keith Baldry joins us now with some interesting numbers breaking down. How much of each vaccine has been administered in this province, Keith, 
and how much more is coming. Yeah, we're awash in vaccines, Christians. This is great news. And our workhorse vaccine, of course, all along has been Pfizer. So the mix and match issue, not a real issue for the vast majority of people because we got uh, Pfizer by so much. So 3.3 million people have been vaccinated with one dose. Pfizer with more than 2.3 million total doses. Big drop down to Moderna with a little more than half a million first doses. And then, of course, AstraZeneca has been capped at 275,000 uh, first doses, and we don't have any more coming in. Now, in terms of our vaccine, supply, things are looking quite well. We went into June with about 230,000 doses on hand. That number's actually gotten bigger today. 328,000 Pfizer doses are coming a week from more than 1.3 million in June alone. 144,000 Moderna doses uh, we're expecting mid-month for a total of mid-month for a total of almost 1.5 million doses in June alone. We crossed the 70% vaccination threshold today. Great news. We want to get as high a number as possible. Start uh, expecting to see way more people getting their second dose now as we go into June. There's now that two-month interval. So many people were vaccinated at the end of March, early April, 30, 40,000 a day. Now two months have passed, which means those 40,000 people, uh, 50,000 people are going to be taking the lion's share of the, of the doses available. The number of first doses will continue to go up but by a much smaller accelerated rate because second dose is really what going to be the emphasis is going to be this month. All right, sounds like we're definitely on the right path. Thanks very much, Keith. The Greater Vancouver Board of Trade says the federal and provincial governments need to come up with a plan to reopen the country to international travel. The board says without it, the hard-hit Metro Vancouver tourism sector might never fully recover. Richard Zussman reports. In British Columbia, it's clear. A four-step plan to restart the province. But when it comes to international borders opening back up, far less clear. We are asking the province to work with the provinces to work with the federal government in a collaborative way to lay out those markers so that we all can better understand and plan for a summer and a fall and a winter that looks much more like what we're used to. And worries growing. The Greater Vancouver Board of Trade warning if Ottawa doesn't come up with a plan on when visitors can come back into Canada, it will mean a loss of conferences, meetings, concerts, drivers of the Metro Vancouver economy. The lack of clarity means that we could lose out to other international jurisdictions which have been more clear on their reopening plans. So conferences now are planning for two, three years out. It's not just business travel. It's family reunions and recreational travel impacted by the restrictions on international travel. Premier John Horgan mentioning on Tuesday for the first time a plan is in the works. We've been working uh, casually and and behind the scenes with other provinces to look at how a restart uh, of our borders would look. And I give full credit to the Prime Minister and his team for not imposing upon uh, provinces uh, a view on how we should do that. Horgan's worry continues to be immunizations. As British Columbia passes 70% on first doses for adults, Washington State is stalling out in the 60s albeit much further ahead than Canada on second doses. There are concerns, of course, by waiting, but I think there are an equal number of people who are are very grateful that we're going to wait and see what uh, immunization rates are like in the U.S. and in other jurisdictions around the world. Right now, the border with the United States is closed for all but essential travel until June 21st. And internationally, it's closed indefinitely, with no clear guidance on what it will take to change that. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Starting June 7th, Marine Drive and White Rock will turn into one-way traffic only. City Hall voted to temporarily close one lane of the street running along the waterfront. 
to allow restaurants to expand patios for outdoor service. This will continue until B.C.'s provincial health officer allows restaurant capacity to return to 100% for indoor dining, which right now is scheduled no earlier than July 1st. The province has launched a civil forfeiture claim against the man arrested for hosting illegal parties at his Vancouver penthouse. The Attorney General's ministry is going after the almost $9,000 in cash seized when police raided Mo Movisagi's downtown condo in late January. As part of its statement of facts, the province claims Movisagi's brother, Ali, is associated to known organized crime members. Among the items seized are waiver forms for guests, acknowledging that they were aware that the gathering was illegal under a public health order and that they risked illness or death from exposure to COVID-19. Uh, this is exactly what should have happened. Uh, this is an individual who uh, deliberately uh, thumbed their nose at the, uh, the COVID-19 restrictions that were put in place to safeguard somebody. They held an illegal uh, uh, party. Uh, they were, you know, obstructive, and they were found to uh, have completely just uh, ignored everything, and they ran an illegal operation. Uh, there was uh, profits related to that, and therefore they're being seized under these civil forfeiture laws. In April, Movisagi was sentenced to one day in jail and 18 months probation for violating a public health order and illegally purchasing grain alcohol. It began as a missing persons case in January and turned into a murder mystery months later. Today, the family of Trina Hunt offered a generous reward for information leading to the arrest of her killer. And as Ramina Dea reports, the desperate family hopes this will help bring justice for Trina. If doing the right thing isn't enough of an incentive, maybe a $50,000 reward will be. We are desperate for information. We've just re reached the state where we need to resolve this. We need to ensure that charges are laid. It's been more than four months since 48-year-old Trina Hunt vanished. The victim's cousins tell Global News Trina's husband, Ian Hunt, told them they were in hope the weekend of January 15th visiting a campground, adding that they were on a digital detox, which is why Trina couldn't be reached by phone. Think back, is there anything that they saw? Is there a conversation that they had with anybody that they can recall that just might give something, anything that can lead to charges? <laughs> Police say Ian was the last person to see Trina at their Port Moody home the morning of January 18th before he left for work. Ian reported his wife missing late that afternoon. We've emailed Ian Hunt multiple times, but no response. More than two months pass before Trina's remains are discovered by a member of the public south of Silver Creek in Hope, March 29th. The missing person investigation launched by Port Moody Police, now a murder. We took a look at the information. If there was even a shred of indication that this that there was foul play involved at that time, but there wasn't. Okay? So it, pro it continued to progress as a missing person investigation. The whole situation's concerning and just hearing it laid out like that just brought me to tears. I just hope that IHIT is able to pick up those pieces and, and find enough evidence to press those charges. IHIT says the investigation is progressing well. Sergeant Frank Jang not divulging details about suspects or any other evidence which could tip the killer off.
that person uh, is still out there and that person could be watching and may want to know exactly what the police know. And I am not going to provide any information to that person whatsoever. Cash for clues. The final push by Trina's family, who believes with conviction justice is coming. Ramina Dea, Global News. The Tecumloops Tsekwempek First Nation is asking for some space following the heartbreaking confirmation of 215 unnamed children buried at the site of the former residential school. As Nitu Garcha reports, it's highlighting the concern for hundreds more Indigenous children and youth who are still in care. And a warning, some of the content of this story may be disturbing and may be triggering. More symbols are being erected here of the smallest students, a painfully vivid representation of the young lives lost. What are the next steps? What can we do as a nation? What um, needs to occur? Amid growing calls for answers about the search that led to the discovery of their remains and what happens next, Indigenous leaders and community members meeting privately on Tuesday, asking for space to grieve. They're feeling like they need more, um, more healing process to occur. Our people were taken away from their homes, our culture was Healing ceremonies continue, as do calls for long-promised change for children. 163,000 of them still being discriminated against by the federal government, according to a 2016 Canadian Human Rights Tribunal ruling. And the problem stems from inadequate child welfare services on reserves and a failure to properly implement Jordan's principle to ensure kids can get access to public services without falling victim to red tape. Think about that, a three, four, five, six-year-old. Think about that. What they did to our people, our ancestors, our grandparents and our parents. And so that system has expanded into Section 88 of the Indian Act, the laws of general application, provincial laws, child welfare systems. And addressing those issues is among the top recommended actions from the Truth and Reconciliation Report released more than five years ago. Those sections that apply to the residential school are still in there still part of the system. Section 88 with the provincial laws for child welfare removal is there. It's still there. Why the hell is it still there? It's hoped these graves will be the catalyst for understanding the effects of multiple generations of severed family ties and cultural linkages being felt more than a century later. Nitu Garcha, Global News. And we'd like to remind you there is a 24-hour support line set up for survivors of the residential school system. If you or someone you know needs help, the number to call is 1-866-925-4419. Well, they are fast and a lot of people are furious. Video of two cars racing up Fraser Street at insane speeds and into oncoming traffic has sparked quite a response on social media. What BC's top cop says about it next on the NewsHour. The Sea to Sky Gondola announces its reopening day, what they're doing to prevent the cable cutter from striking again. Coming up on the NewsHour. And... Fifty years of fun for a group of golfers who refuse to give up. That's later as well. Right now, though, Vancouver police are using social media to help catch a couple of street racers who just couldn't help but share their insanely dangerous driving online. 
As Sarah McDonald reports, the video is a sickening reminder for one B.C. family of their own unspeakable tragedy caused by a speeding driver. And a warning, some of the video in this story might be disturbing. It's hard to believe that anyone would think this was a wise move. Let alone posting the video to social media. Watch as these two drivers in luxury cars appear to drag race, barreling down Vancouver's busy Fraser Street on Monday night. One of them was showing a um, speedometer of going over 170 kilometers an hour. Part of the reason police are posting the video publicly to generate leads. They don't understand the severity of what their actions uh, could have caused. Somebody could have been hurt badly or if not died. Somebody like Dr. Alphonsus Huey, killed by the actions of a reckless driver, going nearly three times the speed limit through a Vancouver intersection in 2015. For his daughter, the pain is still raw. In that moment, two seconds, he took away uh, a loving father, a devoted husband, a would soon-to-be grandfather. My children never got to meet him. And just watching footage like this is sickening. Because careless speeding is horrible, but intentional excessive speeding is unforgivable. And that's exactly what they were doing. And to hear them sort of laughing and shrieking, and they're so thrilled about that moment. It's nauseating. The province promising swift action against any excessive speeders. There will be uh, significant uh, financial penalties that they will face, uh, as well as, I've no doubt, uh, driving prohibitions. Who, in this case, could have easily claimed innocent lives and clearly didn't seem to care. Sarah McDonald, Global News. And a dramatic scene on Highway 1 in the Fraser Valley. An eastbound dump truck burst into flames right under the 248th Street overpass in Langley. The fire started in the engine bay and then quickly spread. Thankfully, the driver managed to get out safely. The vehicle was destroyed. Traffic in both directions was delayed for several hours. Just ahead, a road through green space gets the green light. The failed protests and why some say Surrey is going in the wrong direction with plans for Bear Creek Park. But first, summer fun is returning to Playland at the PNE. What to expect when you get there. Believe BC, featured on Global News Hour at 6, celebrates the innovative minds working together to reignite business throughout our province. Believe BC in partnership with Pacific Blue Cross, flexible small business health benefits for challenging times. A major reward is being offered to help find whoever torched eight vehicles at a North Vancouver towing company lot last fall. It happened overnight back on September 24th at Mitchell's Towing. Two tow trucks were destroyed and six other vehicles were damaged. The total loss is $750,000. A $25,000 reward is now offered to help identify and catch the suspect. I and other business owners here in North Vancouver want to find the person responsible for this fire. Someone out there knows this person. Someone out there knows what took place. Remember, it's not you we want to identify. We want the information that you know. Anyone with information that could help identify the suspect 
should contact Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-8477. The city of Surrey has given the green light for a contentious new roadway to be built through a portion of Bear Creek Park. As Grace Key reports, the city says it's for safety reasons, but opponents claim this is just the first step chipping away at a beloved green space. They gathered outside Surrey City Hall in a last-ditch effort to stop a road from going near the south end of Bear Creek Park. They're concerned about noise, pollution and wildlife, and a public consultation they say was flawed. The consultation assumed that the road was a done deal and just asked people, you know, whether uh, they wanted, you know, two lanes or four lanes, or they wanted bicycle paths or what kind of lights they wanted. They didn't ask whether they wanted a road or not. 84th Avenue would cut through from King George Boulevard to 140th Street. It would be built within the existing road allowance under the BC Hydro power lines and not in the reservation area. Those in favor say it's a much needed east-west connector. With the growth in our Newton community and so forth, um, they have always complained that they can't get east uh, in Surrey without going through 88th, which they don't want to. Council also had a couple of options for improving walking and cycling paths. Option A offered more direct paths on the north side, with up to 90 trees to be taken down. And option B, there's a mid-block crossing switching to the south side with 40 fewer trees cut down. Rather than taking down 90, I would much rather mitigate the damages by, by taking down only the 50. And that's what I based my decision on. I also gave my word that we would not cut down the trees unnecessarily. This is a beautiful park, and so I'm just not going to support the, the separation of it into two areas, and I'd just like to have it stay the way it is with perhaps a few enhancements. In the end, Council approved the project in a 5-4 to four vote, going with option B, fewer trees cut down. Total cost of the project, including park enhancements and landfill remediation, is upwards of $17 million. Construction begins this summer and is scheduled to be finished by September 2022. Grace Key, Global News. They've been a grocery store option for more than two decades. Self-checkout lanes are both loved and loathed by many. But during COVID, they've been popular with those who want to limit contact with others. And as our consumer reporter, Andrea, tells us, they are likely here to stay, Anne. That's right, Chris. If you're concerned about your health amid the global pandemic, self-checkouts may pose less of a risk. Dalhousie University recently surveyed more than 10,000 Canadians on their grocery shopping habits. And it appears self-checkouts are here to stay. When shopping for groceries in store, almost 40% of those surveys said they plan to use self-checkouts most of the time in the next six months, while 55% said they would mostly stick with cashiers. When respondents were asked which methods they plan to use to check out in the next six months, 53% said they intend to use self-checkouts regularly compared to cashiers at 68%. And when it comes to Canadians 41 years of age or younger, self-checkouts are almost as popular as cashiers now. 60% of Generation Z and millennial respondents are planning to use self-checkouts more often compared to cashiers at just under 62 some grocers have actually uh, took uh, self-checkout lanes out only to bring them back in uh, during the pandemic because demand was so high. But actually, the concept of waiting in line to pay for your own groceries is something that we've accepted 
as consumers. But really, when you think about it from a customer service perspective, it's not really good practice to do that. Charles Boss says grocers are working on enhancing their exit strategy, which he says has always been the most mismanaged part of the shopping experience. Also, expect more of the Amazon Go model where no checkout is required. Shoppers scan a special smartphone app upon entry, grab their groceries and simply exit. The walkout technology tracks items leaving the shelf and going to a customer's virtual cart. Their Amazon account is automatically charged. Charles Bois also says one day we will likely be able to exit the grocery store with everything in our smart carts automatically scanned. Can you imagine? And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. I'm going to miss saying hi to the clerk when that happens, but that's just me. Still ahead, some big changes coming to BC Forestry. We can't keep doing what we're doing. We need to find a different way to create wealth, create jobs, and sustain the industry uh, through climate change. Why some say the transformation can't come soon enough. And a teenager willing to do whatever it takes to keep a bear out of her backyard. <laughs> Two lanes south and one north at the Lionsgate Bridge right now, so traffic is eased right off out of north and west of Vancouver, but it is starting to build now westbound along Georgia Street towards the Stanley Park Causeway. From home to car insurance, BCAA's local experts are here for all your insurance needs. Visit BCAA.com. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. Some big changes are on the way for one of the province's biggest employers, the forestry industry. The premier says the moves will include better protections for old growth and a bigger share for First Nations. Ted Chernecki explains. Why, asks the premier, with record lumber prices, are the communities making that lumber not doing better? To that, he says, we can't keep doing what we're doing. We need to find a different way to create wealth, create jobs and sustain the industry uh, through climate change. So going forward, who gets to harvest B.C.'s timber and how they do it is going to change. The province wants many more players with access to timber rights, especially First Nations. Current Indigenous interests get about 10 percent of B.C.'s allowable cut. The province wants to double that. The new approach will ensure and enhance reconciliation by ensuring forest resources are fairly benefit the Indigenous peoples on whose ancestral territory that our forests grow. The province will have to defer tenure or cancel contracts from existing rights holders and compensate them for it. With wildfires and beetle infestations shrinking the timber supply, the Premier believes it's more important now than ever to move from high volume to high value. Currently, five big companies have half the allowable cut. The organization representing forest industries welcomes the competition. This is a complex business. Um, We have excited new potential entrants. We have challenges, trades, markets, all of those things. So I think it's really important that as we're as we're doing this work, that everyone's at the table. Meanwhile, outside, a sit-in protest on the lawns of the legislature. Protesters angry with First Nations allowing old-growth trees to be cut near Ferry Creek. They're calling on the Premier to defer that permit to log there. The Premier saying everything from here on in has to be done collaboratively. And those consultations have to take place. If we were to arbitrarily put deferrals in place there, 
that would be a return to the colonialism that we have so graphically been brought back to as a result of issues in Kamloops this week. The Premier reminded us several times that it has already protected vast regions of old growth in BC, equivalent to about 500 Stanley Parks. Ted Schernack, Global News. In Health Matters tonight, in an attempt to avoid confusion and stigma, the World Health Organization has unveiled a new naming convention for COVID-19 variants. The agency says it will now use letters of the Greek alphabet. So B117, the variant first identified in the UK, will now be known as Alpha. The variant first identified in South Africa, B135, will be Beta, and so on. The WHO says these names are easier to pronounce and will avoid stigmatizing people from the countries where the variants were first detected. Just ahead, a father and photographer at a crossroads. I call it the photo that made my career. How his first baby photo launched life experiences he never could have imagined. And later in sports, Edmonton relaunches its CFL franchise with a brand new name. The Lions will go elk hunting this season. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Well, here's another sign of our slow return to normal. Playland has announced it will reopen on June 11th. The hours will be from 6 to 11 each night and will involve a number of safety precautions. Capacity will be reduced, physical distancing will be in place, and there will be a requirement to wear masks while in lines and on rides. We are not selling tickets at the gate. We're asking people to buy online. Uh, and we need to have a capacity limit this year, which is, is quite a bit less than, than normal capacity. So for people not to be disappointed, we're asking them to buy, select their date and buy online in advance so that they're not disappointed when they arrive at the park. Playland will start with openings on Fridays, Saturdays and Sundays in June, limited to Lower Mainland and Fraser Valley residents at first, with a plan to expand it to more days and nights for everyone across B.C. later in the summer. And the big question, what about the PNE? Balance says they're still working on a number of possible plans based on many possible contingencies, but she says they are very optimistic that they'll be able to put on some kind of a fair. June 11th is going to be a big day because the beleaguered Sea to Sky gondola is firing up again with a planned reopening on June 11th. It's another new start for the popular attraction after two separate cases of vandalism shut it down. And as Imada Gahi reports, the owners say safety and security are their top priorities. 25 new cabins, a new haul rope. This is the second time the Sea to Sky gondola in Squamish has spent up to $5 million in repairs, hoping to turn a mysterious and troubling chapter of its existence. You absolutely take a hit when somebody's out to get you, you know, and, and whoever's doing that, you know, they, they put our team in direct danger. That night, um, they could have killed somebody quite easily. It was early morning on September 14th. In what police described as an act of vandalism, several strands of the main gondola cable were deliberately cut, forcing it to snap. Dozens of empty cabins would freefall, tumble, and smash to the ground. The horror compounding with the fact that 13 months prior, almost the same thing had also happened. And the difference between the first time and the second time was an understanding that now we are a security company. As much as we are a tourism company, we need to offer and do something very different than anybody's done before. 
as ground crew puts the final touches ahead of the attraction's June 11th reopening. There are new staff members you won't necessarily see here. The company says it has hired its own in-house team of highly qualified security personnel. Top-notch uh, people from um, three-letter agencies and, you know, top military positions. Also new, this system, taking the cabins off the cable and parking them on ground level at the end of each night. Meanwhile, the RCMP continue to investigate yet to find the person or persons responsible for sabotaging the gondola. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. We'll all breathe a sigh of relief when um, these folks are held accountable for the damage they've done. For the company, there will be no guaranteed number of visitors or revenue, but it knows this. Anybody who has uh, trepidations about showing up, we get that. Uh, it's incredibly safe. Um, the safest lift installation in the world and one ready to regain public trust, one lift at a time. Amaragahi, Global News. I can only imagine the view from up there on a day like today would be absolutely spectacular. Just like the view from where Christy is right now. Beautiful blue sky and sunshine <laughs> behind you. Absolutely. It feels so hot out here, like summer, I'll tell you. We're still 20 days away, but it is certainly hot out here. Uh, I just wanted to quickly mention, I can't wait to get up the Sea to Sky gondola again. Good for them for getting up, back up and running, and I hope that other people uh, get out there and support them. Uh, let's check out the numbers for today. Incredible. It's because of the humidity. You likely felt it. So the number on the left is the regular temperature, but bump that up by four to five degrees in some areas, and that's what you get with your Humidex levels. So 28 in Metro Vancouver and close to 35 in through the Hope area uh, on another hour, but you can see 34 there. So incredible heat and the hot spot across Canada today was in Ashcroft at 36 degrees and that's without the humidity also. Your record highs as well. A number of them broken about eight of them. These are the top four. Castlegar 33.6, Princeton 31.5, Port Alberni 30.5 and Agassiz hitting 30 degrees. So very hot. Now now, we are expecting rainfall for the north and central coast regions, a risk of thunderstorms in those regions as well. But across southern BC, we are going to continue with sunshine and heat. A bit more cloud cover tomorrow, certainly. And into Thursday, we were expecting a change, but it looks like the system that's driving down is really fizzling out. We'll see some cloud cover on Thursday, but it looks like we're going to extend the majority of our dry spell. North coast regions, as I mentioned, though, periods of rain, sunshine and heat all across southern BC for one more day tomorrow. Tomorrow, but we are going to see a little bit more cloud cover and in particular into our Thursday. But we're still expecting dry weather and warmth right through Friday. At this point, we're still watching for showers and cooler conditions over the weekend. But maybe we can change that for you as we get closer. Tonight's Central Windows weather window from Bowen Island. Thank you to Rafael for that. It looks like a shot from, from um, uh, Hawaii almost. I know those are rhododendrons out there and a uh, beautiful shot. I love the colors of those rotos. Very tropical. And beautiful. Thanks very much, Christy. So a teenager in California, although her actions are not recommended, is a real-life superhero. Check this out. You can see her dogs barking like crazy when a bear and its cubs climb the wall on the property. The bear takes a few swipes, and then suddenly the teenage girl rushes in to help, actually shoving the bear off the wall. 
She then grabs the dogs and runs away. The video is from yesterday and in just the last 24 hours. It's gotten more than 15 million views on TikTok alone. Again, nobody would recommend shoving a bear that's protecting two cubs, but she was very brave to do that. Squire is here now. A lot of action in that thing. A lot of action. Lots, Lots action. going Big on. Big dogs, little dogs, bears, teenagers. brave teenagers, the whole bit. Cubs. All right. So um, I got an idea. I got an idea. Let's turn back the clock just a wee bit, like maybe 10 years, because tonight was the night the Bruins Canucks Stanley Cup Final Series began. And I thought we could look back at game one. Vancouver won, and there was no riot. So it's a win-win. Oh, the good old days. Also, a picture taken just seconds after birth and how it transformed the photographer's life. Coming up. Right, Squire joins us now with uh, sports. Little contracts can be easier to sign than some of those big contracts for the Canucks. Yes, we are still awaiting the Hughes and Pedersen deals. But today, the Canucks signed former draft pick Carl Plaschek of the Czech Republic to a contract. They took him in the sixth round of the 2019 draft. He's a right winger. Doesn't really score a lot, but doesn't mind playing physically. He uh, will go to the Canucks farm team in Abbotsford, and unless he finds a bit more of a scoring touch, I'm not really sure we can call him a true NHL prospect, but why not bring him out here and find out for sure? Okay, this picture beside me is from exactly 10 years ago today. Game one of the Stanley Cup final between Boston and Vancouver. It's been such a rough ride for the Canucks and everybody who follow the Canucks for a number of reasons the last year and a bit. Why not go back in time and relive this game once more? Some of the moments in this game were both memorable and painful. Starting with the Alex Burroughs turning Hannibal Lecter moment with Patrice Bergeron. The finger bite that the NHL said was inconclusive so they couldn't suspend Burroughs but Bergeron was sure it happened. You know, I, he cut me a little bit on, uh, on my finger, but uh, you know, I'm not going to be here and complaining about it. And then, of course, the ill-advised hit by Dan Hamhuis and Milan Lucci. It was a great hit, but Hamhuis never played a game the rest of the series, and later that month had to get sports hernia surgery. But as tough as that was, at least the score ended up the right way for the Canucks with a goal 19 seconds from it going to overtime. Just tipped the puck by Boychuk, throws it in the middle. Yannick Hansen to Torres, scores! Rafi Torres with 19 It was uh, just as exciting as an overtime goal. Um, you know, there was not a lot of room on the ice as we saw. Uh, at one point I thought we might be playing all night here. Nice to hear Jim Houston as the soundtrack of that goal as well. Okay, when Edmonton's football team announced that the old name of Eskimos was going to be replaced, we all knew the new nickname would start with an E. That was part of the deal. But we thought that was so they could save money and not change the old double E helmet. We were only half right. 
The new nickname does start with an E, but the logo, as you can see beside me, has changed. And here is part of the announcement to introduce us to the Edmonton Elks. New name. The same game. Proud as ever. Bolder than ever. As fierce as they come. And we're calling all challengers. We are. Elks. I don't mind it. Took a little while to draw that elk, though, at the end. Mm -hmm. It was kind of like, you know, come on, finish it up. Okay, so Felix Auger-Aliassime is finished at the French Open. He barely started there. Uh, got beat today by Andrea Seppi. He actually won the third set, uh, Felix, but he had lost the first two, and then he would lose the fourth set. So he is out of the French Open. The only Canadian left in singles is uh, Leila Annie Fernandez, who plays Madison Keys tomorrow. Well, Burnaby has some great city-owned golf courses. Riverway, just off Marine Drive, the uh, Pitch and Putt at Central Park, Kensington Pitch and Putt, and also Burnaby Mountain Golf Course, where today they held an anniversary party and invited Jay. Happy 50th, Burnaby ladies! <laughs> They're the golden girls of Burnaby Mountain. For five decades, every Tuesday morning, the women of the Burnaby Mountain Ladies Golf Club are finding fairways. Ranging in age from 30 to 96 years old, these ladies share a common bond that extends well beyond the fairways they've played on for half a century now. They're so much fun. Like We're dressed up crazy and you know we just have so much fun it's a, it's a treat being out here every Tuesday there's such great camaraderie around here and everybody's supporting each other this is the beginning this is our 1971 this is our captain Alice Rankin who basically got it going these binders packed full of memories created together are the only real scorecards that matter to the ladies. The game of golf brought them together, but what truly unites them are these shared life experiences, losing loved ones, dealing with illness, and of course, living in a pandemic. The people here, the ladies here, helped me get through some hard times. It's about heart and love in a beautiful environment, playing a very challenging game in a very relaxed way with... Um, Ladies who support each other, who are there for each other, but in a sort of a very calm, quiet, accepting way with no pressure. If you're not doing well, there's always somebody that'll be phoning you, checking up on you, and just making sure you're okay, which is fantastic. Like, you can't beat that, right? It just shows, again, it's a story of, of love and, um, and sport. I love those global action Zeppelin shots we have. Those are really <laughs> it's nice. Good. It's good. Yeah. It's like having the blimp. All right, thanks very much, Squire. A birthday photo that turned out to be a great gift for the photographer. Next. A Ladner man's photo just helped Canada do a third-place finish at a prestigious international competition. Stefan Malloch's entry is an incredible image he took during the C-section birth of his daughter. So fair warning, it's not going to be for everyone. But as Jay Durant reports... That photo has changed Stefan's life in ways he could never have imagined. Uh-oh. <laughs> One day Zoe Malik will see the photo her dad took and understand why her first baby picture caused such a reaction. A split second in time. A single frame capturing the start of a new life. I cried. <laughs> I literally cried. <laughs> With her 
arm shooting up in the air like that. It just, um, it was phenomenal. But that beautiful moment quickly changed for Nikki. She was rushed away um, in recovery and right into surgery, and they basically said, say goodbye to your wife. She suffered postpartum hemorrhaging, and for Stefan, that moment triggered post-traumatic stress disorder. Why don't you do some more water? But his experience has given him insight into what many of his clients deal with. Stefan works as a clinical hypnotherapist. It's hard to really understand people and what they're going through unless you've walked in their shoes. So I think that a lot of people are kind of attracted to that. They have confidence in that. The photo helped Canada to a best-ever third-place finish at this year's World Photographic Cup, which is considered the Olympics of photography. It's the photo that helped Stefan launch his career, as well as a popular YouTube channel. Today we're discussing five reasons why your pictures suck. I call it the photo that made my career because it's just evolved into so many... Uh, doors that are opening and relationships and possibilities. Which brings us back to the real star of this story. Can you say hi to them? Hi. There are a lot of pictures taken that kids will be embarrassed about later on in life, but not Zoe's. And it comes with an, an incredible story. Most people don't get to look back and see photos like that. And, um, yeah. And what she put us through. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jay Durant, Global News. Oh, a delivery definitely worth celebrating, for sure. You ever notice when you see baby photos of yourself, you just don't recognize that person? You just can't see yourself in that no. baby? No, all babies tend to look the same, don't they? Except maybe to their own mothers and dads. Right, Gordo? Mm -hmm. That's right. And the baby raccoon that's in my yard right now. Oh, he very cute. Doesn't take look some, like the rest of the babies. Take some video yeah. and use it tomorrow. Thanks for watching, everybody. Have a good night. Okay.